This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Well, today we are starting a new series. I'm Craig, by the way. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Craig, and I just want to welcome you and say thanks for being here for your first time. Or if you're new, it's really good timing because we're starting something new today. Uh, We're starting a study uh, of the longest chapter of the Bible, uh, but we're not... Uh, covering every verse today. We'll cover it over four weeks. It's Psalm 119. And so the series is called Transformed uh, by the Word is what we're talking about, being transformed by the Word. And so we have a few resources. Each time we do a new series, we typically have some resources if you'd like to uh, do extra study. And they are out in the resource center for you. Two, Two books and then a booklet that we're giving everybody today. So here's the first book that's out there. It's called Why Trust the Bible? by Greg Gilbert. And uh, it's actually a white cover. This wasn't just an uncreative sort of design. This is actually what the, that's the cover right there. It's white. Uh, Why trust the Bible? And, uh, you know, the reason I'm offering this, this series won't be an apologetic on the trustworthiness of the Bible. Uh, however, that is a common question. Is the Bible legitimate? Do we have uh, reasonable sources to translate it? Um, Can I trust that there's not errors in my Bible? And if there are, how can I really believe that it is from God? Those kinds of questions that are very common. Maybe you have those questions for yourself. This would be a great book. It's a short book uh, that would help answer some of those for you. And then we also have a book about uh, Psalm 119. This is called Bible Delight, Heartbeat of the Word of God, Psalm 119 for Bible Teacher and Hearer uh, by Christopher Ash, who's an outstanding author. This is a devotional that will sort of, it's a devotional, a little bit of a commentary, but much more of a devotional that just kind of walks through Psalm 119 uh, for you. And I found this very helpful. So we'll have that out there for you as well. And then when you leave today, everybody receives one of these. This is a booklet called Transformed, A Journey Through Psalm 119. Uh, This is a booklet designed by our own Fred Rodriguez. And this is a devotional that I'm going to talk about at the end of the sermon. Uh, So you got to stick around to the end. Uh, But we want to give every one of you a copy of this. It'll be out on the tables, out in the lobby, uh, probably in Connect Center and and maybe some other places as well. But if you go to the center table out in the lobby, you'll find these. And we want to journey together as a church uh, through this psalm and our personal devotions uh, this month. And uh, so this will be a tool that we have put together for you that you can do that uh, a page a day and uh, you'll be able to uh, cover the psalm. So this will be available for you on the way out. We've never done something quite like this before, so I'm very excited about uh, studying this together. Um, So one last thing let me say about this series that we're starting, uh, Transformed by the Word. Uh, This is not just a series for us for four weeks, but this is a theme for our ministry year. So each uh, September, we kind of launch a theme for our ministry year. So our ministry year runs like a school year, September through August. Um, And this year, we're going to talk at various points throughout the year uh, on this theme of being transformed by God's word. Because as a church, we want to grow not only in our appreciation of scripture, uh, in our respect uh, for the scripture, uh, but we want to grow in our experience of God personally through the scripture. We want to develop a pattern in our lives 
of regular Bible reading and Bible meditation so that God transforms us by the word. I mean, the reality is you can come here every week and you could even attend a community group or something like that. But if you never personally engage God through his word on your own, you'll never really mature as a Christian as God desires for you to. Um, And we're calling it transformed by the word because we're looking to God to transform us. We don't transform ourselves. It's a passive verb. Transformed means that God transforms us, but he transforms us as we engage his scripture and as we apply it to our lives. So, transformed by the word. That's what we're going to talk about at various points throughout this year, and that's what we're specifically going to talk about in the next four weeks as we go through Psalm 119. Now, every week I say this, and you could probably easily tune this out, uh, not unlike the flight attendant giving you directions on what to do during an emergency. Uh, but this time I want you to listen to me as if we're going down and, okay, you need to listen, okay, but get your seatbelt on. Uh, if you, I want you to open your Bibles, and if you have it on a phone, open your device. And if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the seat under you. And bend over right now and pick it up. You need a Bible for this study today because this is going to be very, well, not very. This is going to be somewhat different than a normal sermon. Uh, Normally, we read a passage of Scripture and we just walk through a few verses. Okay, this psalm has 176 verses, so we're not going to walk all through that. We're going to jump around. So this is going to feel a little bit more like a Bible study than a typical sermon that I would give. And, and so you will get lost really fast if you don't have something to look along with. So if you open that Bible uh, to page 294, you'll find Psalm 119. And then if you're new to the Bible, when I say something like verse 14 or verse 28, that's the small number. So the big number is 119 on Psalm, and then below it will be 176 little numbers that are the verses of that Psalm. So when I give those out, you can just look right there and you can track with us. It's good for us all to uh, look at our Bible together. Okay, here we go. Let me start with a question. How do you feel about God's Word? How do you feel about God's Word? Based on your background, that question may be very suspect to you. And if you're new here, you may already have your antenna up about what kind of a church is this. Because based on your background, you may have been taught that when it comes to the things of God, never trust, never rely on your feelings. And so feelings are minimized. They are not very important. Our affections, we're taught, are at worst, deceptive and dangerous, and at best, they're irrelevant because they don't really matter. They don't shape truth. They don't really matter at all about what we believe. How we feel, our affections are uh, very unimportant and largely to be untrusted. Psalm 19 says something entirely different. Psalm 19 says something entirely different And as a matter of fact, in this study, every day we're going to ask you, what did this passage teach you to feel about God? We're going to ask, that's one of the questions every day. Because this psalm is a love poem to God and to, about, rather, about his word. It's to God and it's about his word. And the psalmist is profuse, profuse in his affection for God's word. 
for God and his word. And it's, it's our hope that we would aspire to this same kind of desire for the scripture because this is the key, or a key perhaps, to becoming a daily Bible reader. It is the secret to a consistent devotional life. If you change your desire for the word, you will change your consistency in the word because we largely act upon the desires of our heart. And God fundamentally wants you to have a desire for him. God fundamentally wants you to find your joy in him. Put simply, if the word brings you joy, you will get out of bed and read it on a regular basis. And this psalm is going to help us understand what is, the biblical, uh, what is the biblical approach to our affections for the Scripture. What should we feel about the Scripture? We want a biblical affection. So there's no place in Scripture that describes a godly affection for the Bible like Psalm 119. There's nothing even close in the Bible to this psalm. Uh, the psalm is a poem, and we should note right off the bat that the longest section of God's word, where he addresses his word, is a poem meant to be sung. That right there says something about affections. It's not written as a systematic theology. It's not written as a list of facts. It's not written even as a letter, as valuable as they are, or as a narrative, as valuable as those are. It's written as a poem to be sung with affection to God. Here's the structure. The structure speaks to us in itself. The structure is that it's an acrostic poem. It, it, it runs along the, the, uh, the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. So the way it's written is um, it's written in 22 stanzas. And each stanza uh, starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this is where it's a little bit lost on us in English. The translation doesn't, uh, we don't get the effect of the structure. Because the way it works is the first stanza, every letter, each stanza, the, the first word of every line starts with the same letter. So if it was in English, we would say it like this. You know, the first letter of every line starts with A for eight verses. A, 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 A. And then it goes to B, 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 B for eight verses. That's how it's set up. And so it's written as sort of an A to Z poem of love for God and his Word. Um, now, it's impossible to teach through this psalm in a single uh, sermon. I did read of one guy historically, a historic pastor, who, who preached 190 sermons uh, on, the, on this chapter. So, assuming that you take a break for Christmas and Easter, that's about like four years of preaching. We're going to do four weeks. Um, so, you, you can't do it in a week, but... Uh, I am going to give an overview of it, and that's why I recommended getting out a Bible. I am going to give an overview of it, and I'm going to talk about three attitudes or affections towards God's Word. And I got these three words from Kevin DeYoung in his, uh, his book about the Scripture. Um, we're going to look at delight in God's Word, desire for God's Word, and dependence upon God's word. So those are the three things we're going to look at. And I'm going to give you a topic, and then I'm going to survey verses that demonstrate that. So we'll be reading a ton of verses here today. So first of all, delight in God's word. The psalmist uses this word, delight, and similar words like it, like joy, rejoice, love, similar words, to describe his heart for the Bible. 
To delight is to find joy in something or someone. If I take delight, it's I take pleasure in something or someone. And we find it throughout the sermon. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Now, I should say at the outset that there's eight common words used for Bible, Scripture, um, in, this, in this chapter. Uh, and they have nuanced differences in meaning, but they all basically mean the revealed Word of God. So statutes, law, precepts, testimonies, different words, word, different words are used, but they, they all mean God's revealed word to us, the, the Bible. That's what they mean. So he says, I, in the way of your testimonies, a synonym for scripture, I delight as in much as in all riches. Look two verses later, verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So these first two verses early in the Psalm set a direction for the theme of delight that will run throughout the entire poem. Delight is a natural human experience. Uh, It's something that we all experience. We delight in all sorts of things, don't we? We know what that word means, to take pleasure in um, or to enjoy. So we delight in our spouse. We delight, if you're married, we delight uh, in our children. We delight in grandchildren. Hopefully, we delight in our work, our job. We can delight in hobbies. We can delight in sports teams in September. All delight in the Dallas Cowboys in December. All despair of the Dallas Cowboys. But this is the season of delight and hope uh, for the Cowboys fan. We delight in a band or an artist or a genre of music. We can delight in food. I have a friend uh, who uh, delights in food, and this guy, uh, he really understands food. Now, in our culture, everybody thinks they're a foodie because they saw some chef battle on a food network, and so everybody's all of a sudden a food expert. But this guy really is, this friend of mine. He has a, a really refined palate. And I really don't. I'm happy with the cheeseburger. But he has a, I, I kind of have the palate of a seventh grader, but he, he has the, a, a really refined palate. And it's a joy to eat with this guy. I've been in restaurants with him a number of times uh, because he will ask questions about the menu and the ingredients. And as he's eating, he's just savoring flavors and talking about it, you know. One time he actually said that his dream job would be to be a writer for a food and travel magazine. He's this kind of a guy, okay? So to eat with him is an experience because I'm just eating my plain thing and he's eating something, uh, you know, exotic, exquisite, and, you know, waxing, eloquent, all about it. And I just realized in the meal he's getting way more delight out of eating than I get. Delighting for him in food and and delighting in general is a thoughtful, sort of focused taking of pleasure in someone or something. And thinking about that kind of delight in my friend, it just caused me to ask myself the question, am, am I cultivating a palate for God's word? Is my palate, my and my appetite, being cultivated for God's word so that I'm focused. I have a focused taking of pleasure. As the verse says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. 
I delight in your statutes. I will not forget, verse 16 says. Your statutes are on my mind, your word. I'm taking pleasure in it. Am I increasing in my delight for God's word or have I plateaued? Maybe I'm decreasing. Maybe there was a time when I can remember when I had much greater appetite for God's word. Delight. Look at verse 24, a few verses down. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. He's saying, I've got these voices counseling me, guiding me, directing me, and they're the verses of your book. Isn't that beautiful? These are my counselors. Where where am I taking? We can have human counselors. We can have people that are Christian that can give us counsel. We can have people that aren't Christian but have wisdom by common grace that give us counsel. But he's saying, my ultimate counselors are found in the verses of your book. And it's like a delight. I mean, this guy doesn't sound burdened by Bible reading. He sounds... He doesn't sound like it's an obligation. Oh, i got to go oh, and read and find. No, this is a delight because I'm going to hear counsel for my day, for my life. Skip way down, verse 92 and 93. This is going to be a time when it's advantage to have a paper Bible because you can, it's probably on the same page. The digital folks are going like this, just kind of thumbing it along, you know, going down the screen. 92 to 93, I'll take some time for our digital friends. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. You're going to find, as you go through this daily study, that this guy has found trouble. I say it's, I'm assuming it's a male. I say guy. Uh, but it, 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 he, is assu- he has experienced trouble. And he's walking through affliction, and it points he's in it, and it points here he's looking back. But he's saying, look, I wouldn't have made it. This is what got me through. I would have perished, but your word sustained me. He says, if your law had not been my delight in affliction, there is this sustaining power that even in grief and sorrow and trouble and pain, in the midst of all of that, there can be a delight in God through his word. I can, I can give testimony to this. My wife and I have gone through a very challenging time this summer, not between us, not a marital thing, but this summer, we've, uh, though we've had those as well, but I'm not above those. We've had that, but not right now. But we have walked through a trial and, and, and are still in a trial, but we've walked through a trial along with others in a certain situation, and I have found the Scripture, the regular reading of Scripture that I can say in some ways... I, I don't know how to make it through without the scripture. I don't think I would have died necessarily, but I might not have had the faith to stand in this pulpit and talk to you from God's word had his word not been my delight in the past couple of months during a difficult summer um, trial that we have experienced. I found this is true. He's saying, this is sustaining delight. It is a lifeline. I'm in a storm, but this is the, the, the raft, the, the flotation that holds me up. This is the boat because it connects me to you. Look at verse 162. Oh, I love this one. All these statements of joy and love and delight. Look at this one, verse 162. Now he's going from affliction to celebration. 
I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Rejoicing means I have joy again. Again, I have joy like one who finds great spoil. Spoil is uh, like treasure or uh, it could be, you know, anything that uh, one finds when you, it could be plunder, when you defeat your enemy at war and then you kind of win their city and whatever else is in their city. So the spoil is the treasure that you win from war. And it's like, he says it's like finding great spoil. So it's like walking into a conquered city and sort of going house to house and coming up on like a box of treasure. That's what being in your word is like to me. That's delight. He said it's, it's the delight of discovery. So he can talk about, in the storm, you hold me up. And then there are these moments where I'm discovering something. I'm seeing something. And I'm going, that's mine. You learn something, you read a promise, you heed a warning, your eyes are open to grace, you see Christ in all of Scripture, both the New and the Old Testament. We see Christ and his grace to us. And it's like finding surprising treasure that is now mine. That's a delight. He uses the word rejoice, but it means delight. Go back a little bit. I'm not always going in order today. I'm just kind of going in thought order. But go back a little bit to verse 72. Verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, the spoil was finding great spoil. That's the delight of discovery. Here, it's the wealth. Your word is like wealth. God's word is better than great wealth. When I find your word, I find it's better to me, and and it's better to me than wealth. Why? Because wealth makes certain promises to us. Why is the word, in what ways is the word like gold and silver or wealth? Well, wealth makes promises. Wealth says you'll be secure. Wealth says you have no worries. Wealth says you have freedom. You've got options and freedom. Wealth says uh, you can have joy. As much as we say that money doesn't bring happiness, most of us are chasing it for happiness. So wealth gives the promise, the false promise, but the promise of, of joy and happiness. Wealth brings power. So security, freedom, power, that's what gold and silver offers. He says, I, 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 I love your word. Your, your, your law is better to me than that. I love it. I'm securing it. I delight in it. I find joy. My freedom comes from your word, not from anything that I own. Verse 97. We're just kind of running through the verses here. Verse 97 He says this, oh, how I love, that's a delight. Oh, how I love your law, exclamation point. It is my meditation all the day. God, I love your word. Law is a picture here of his revealed word. Certainly the gospel is included when we speak of the word in this way in the Old Testament. Your word's with me all day. When you love someone, you think about them throughout the day. And that's how he feels about God. God, I think about you throughout the day. And it's your word that reminds me. Even when God's word is not open in front of him, it's still with him. 
It's still with him. Delight is not just a momentary experience. Delight characterizes his life. Delight in the word because the word is with me. You are my counselor. You are my wealth. You are my surprise like finding great spoil. You sustain me in affliction. You're always with me. The word through your word. God's word is with him even when it isn't open in front of him. Um, the chapter elsewhere talks about hiding God's word in our heart. He's likely memorized sections of God's word. Now, here is the point. The psalmist delights in God's word because the psalmist delights in God. That's why. He isn't worshiping the Bible. Even though he's speaking these you know, incredible statements about the Bible, but he, he's not worshiping the Bible we don't, we don't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Uh, the Spirit reveals God to us through the Scripture. He, 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 is, he is using all this high and lofty, delighting, joyful language about the Bible because it is through the Bible that he encounters God himself. It's he meets God. When he encounters the Word, he encounters God. God is his delight, and he meets his God through his spoken word. The word of God is the breath. It's called in, uh, in the New Testament the God-breathed word. God breathes out his word and it is recorded and it is inspired by his spirit and his spirit speaks to us today through it so that we see God, we hear God, we experience God, we know God in all of these ways. It's really a, an amazing list of statements that we've just read. Uh, I would have died without your word. It's the surprising treasure that I find. It's better to me than all wealth. It's my meditation all the day. My delight, he says. I delight as much in all riches. I delight in your statutes. If we're honest, most of us would admit that the psalmist experience is not ours. Some, some of us would admit it's entirely foreign to us. Now, I know this is poetry, and he's using lofty language creatively for effect, but the psalm still describes a sincere and genuine delight in God. And if we don't really delight in God, we won't really delight in his word. And if we don't really delight in his word, Bible reading will forever be a dry discipline. And at times in all of our lives, it's a dry discipline. At times it is. Because the same Psalms that wax this way gloriously about the scripture and other Psalms say, where are you, God? In times of despair, okay? So life has its ups and downs and we have our dry seasons and there's times when you, you don't know up from down and you don't sense God anywhere around you and even when you open the Bible, you don't get anything out of it. And so there are dry seasons. There are dry times. But I don't believe it's to be our lifestyle. I think what we're reading here should more characterize our life, a delight in God and a delight in his word. He created us to find our joy, to find our life in him. And when that is the aim of our heart through the scripture, we will find ourselves, in ourselves, a delight and a satisfaction and a love and a joy from his word. Delight 
at times discipline. It's a discipline for us, but discipline won't carry the day. There's to be something in our heart of affection for God. Pretend for a moment you're a, you're a marriage counselor. Maybe you're not even married. Well, you're a counselor today in this illustration. Pretend you're a marriage counselor and a couple comes to you and says, you know, our marriage is a wreck. We need help. Our marriage is a wreck. And it's a wreck because we live hectic lives. We are busy. We are going, going, going. We're busy with our kids and we don't get much time together uh, because of our busyness. And not only that, we don't have very good discipline. We never schedule we don't have to self-discipline to schedule a date night or a getaway or, you know, a time to rekindle our romance in any way. Matter of fact, we hardly are even communicating because we are so busy. The husband says he travels for work and the wife complains. He goes, when he travels, it's appointment after appointment after appointment till he gets home, gets to his hotel late at night and crashes. I don't even hear from him even when he travels except maybe a random text here or there they described that kind of relationship with you, how would you diagnose their problem and where would you start? Would you say, I think you have a busyness problem? Would you say that I think you primarily have a self-discipline problem in managing your calendar? I think I'd say they have a love problem, a delight problem. If you would ask them, what was, is this what it was like when you dated? Oh, no. No, no. When we dated, we stayed up late. We skipped sleep to talk to one another. And if we had a full day, we got up early and met for coffee or for breakfast. And we communicated constantly during the day. If you're my age, we wrote letters. If you're in your 40s, we emailed every day. If you're in your 30s, we texted every day. If you're in your 20s, we FaceTimed all the time. Depends on your, your, where you are in life, how you communicated in your dating relationship. Oh, constantly we were communicating. You know what? There was weeks we, we went out every night. Every night we were together. Every waking moment we were on the phone talking with each other. Oh, so you were much more self-disciplined back then. Oh, so you, you weren't nearly as busy back then. Oh, no, we were very busy. And probably, we were young. We probably have more discipline now than we did then. What was the issue? There was a delight in the relationship. There was a love that sustained the relationship. There was an affection that trumped the schedule and built the relationship. And so the question to the couple would be, so what do we need to do to recapture that? When it comes to our devotional life, I don't think most of us have a busyness problem. I don't think most of us have a discipline problem. I think most of us have a delight problem, and this psalm addresses that. God has created us and saved us to find our joy in him. And this is so beautiful. This is grace because God says, I offer myself to you through the word and I offer myself to be your joy, not a drudgery. Following God does not, it's costly. Discipleship is costly. Absolutely. We die to ourselves. Absolutely. It's costly. 
But it's not to be joy-free in like an empty sense of bare bones, grit your teeth, devotion. God, by grace, says, I want you to find joy in me, and I want to be your God above all other idols. And when you find me as your God and me as your passion through Scripture, you will flourish. You will experience life as it was created to be lived. You will experience genuine joy. The beauty of of grace is that God offers himself to us. And he is the most delightful of all. Doesn't mean there's no discipline. Doesn't mean there's no dry seasons. I'm going to be very clear about that. I don't want to paint a false picture. But here's what I believe. From this passage, from my life, and from many that I've talked to over the years, empty discipline alone over a lifestyle and over the course of your spiritual life will not sustain you, but delight will. Delight in God himself is sustaining, and God wants us to enjoy him. Number two, desire. So that's delight. Number two, desire. I read a story from uh, a book called The Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney uh, that blew me away. It was a story about a guy in Kansas City, and it says he was severely, I'm going to read it to you, it says he was severely injured in an explosion. His face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both of his hands. He had only recently become a Christian when the accident happened. And one of the greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible because he was blind and had no hands either. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille And he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been too badly damaged to distinguish the Braille characters. One day, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. Like a flash, he realized, I can read the Bible using my tongue. At the time the book was written, uh, Whitney says when this was recorded, at the time the book was written, including this guy's story, the man had read through the entire Bible four times with his tongue. Desire. He had a desire for God and his word that even in the midst of an extreme difficulty, by grace, he had a greater desire that drew him to connect with God through his word, even though he had tremendous physical limitation. Our desires drive us. Our desires are what we want. Our desires are what we think about, what we dream about. And the psalmist desires to know and to experience God. He desires to encounter God, and thus he desires the word. Now, the word desire is not used like delight was, but the, uh, but the heart is of desire. So I'm going to read just fewer scriptures on this one. Verse 20, verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing. I know it's poetic, but, but, but that's powerful. It, my soul is consumed with a longing for your rules at all times. Your rules, again, your scripture. 
a constant consuming longing. This describes his experience. In the New Testament, this attitude is not described, but it's actually prescribed. First Peter 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Long for God's word, First Peter says. Skip over to uh, verse 169, almost at the end. 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. He is crying. Use this verse because he's crying out. God, I'm crying. He's not dispassionate. He's not casual. He's not flippant. He's not firing up a token prayer like I am apt to do at points. But rather, he is crying, give me understanding for your word. There's a a, a, a desire that leads him to cry out. He wants to know the word and understand his God. Verse 10, sort of at the beginning, verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. This is the language of desire. My whole heart. God, with all that is in me, I don't want to wander. I'm longing for you. Desire. Last verse under desire. Verse 131. Verse 131. Now this one sounds undignified to us. And if someone got up and prayed this and you didn't know it was in the Bible, you would say, man, she's kind of weird. Or he is, wow, he prayed that? Really? Look at these words. I open my mouth and pant. Now, if that wasn't in the Bible, you would say, that's, that's crazy talk. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Isn't that good news? God's way is to turn to us. God's way is to be gracious to us. And he shows us that most clearly in Jesus Christ, who comes to us and comes for us, dies for our sins, is buried, is raised on the third day It is the, and to defeat sin. And, and once we believe in him and trust him, we are brought into relationship. We're reunited with God. We are in Christ by what he has done for us, not we, what we have done for him. And so the psalmist here is saying, God, you are gracious. He's acknowledging that grace that we know in Christ that he could only look forward to. But we know in Christ, turn to me and be gracious. That's your way. God's not opposing us. God's not playing hide and seek at devotional times. God is not saying work hard and then I will you know, give you a little bit. God, as is your way, turn and be gracious. I'm only asking you to be yourself, God. I'm only asking for what your entire biblical track record reveals that you turn to us. That's your way. And so I open my mouth panting for your commandments, confident that you will turn to me. We are motivated by our desires and redeemed by God to act on new godly desires. The Spirit lives in us, and the Spirit creates new godly desires. We still have the flesh as well, so we battle. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle. Um, but but the, the Spirit creates new desires, and His Spirit calls out in us, God, I'm desperate. I desire you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. Turn to me. Confidently, confidently, he prays, turn to me.
turn to me. There are verses of delight. There are verses of almost, again, if it wasn't in the Bible, embarrassingly um, expressive statements about desire. I'm panting for your word. Panting. Well, what if I don't desire the word? Most of us probably are saying, yeah, panting, that's not, my, that's not typically how I would describe it. Um, but what if that's me? What if I don't desire? Well, that brings us to the final theme that I want to look at in this poem. And that's the theme of dependence. Because the psalmist also shows he's dependent on God. Really, delight in God's word and desire for God's word springs from being dependent on God. Does delight in God, desire for God, springs from our dependence on God. The psalmist is dependent for God to create this heart and to sustain this heart in him. He's dependent on God for his motivation. He's dependent on God. Look at these verses, verse 18. I know I've kind of bounced around. I think these last few are all in order, so it'll be a little easier for you. Verse 18, listen to this. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That is a prayer worth praying every day, every day when we open the Bible. Because if it's up to me, if it's up to how alert, I I read in the morning uh, typically for my main reading time. So if it's up to how alert I am, you know, or how brilliant I am or how spiritually hungry I am on any given morning uh, or how engaged my heart is, you know what? I'm in trouble. That's why I need to pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Lord, I want my heart to leap with something of the truth of you. Give me a glimpse of you. You're wonderful. You're wondrous. We're going to have a whole sermon about the wonder of God. But you're wondrous to me. Open my eyes. See, he is dependent. He's not, he's not saying, yeah, well, I got a degree and I know the Bible and I dabble in a little Greek, so uh, let me kind of wow everybody with my, uh, you know, insights from the word. He's saying, Lord, open my eyes. Verse 27. Oh, this is a great prayer. This is a little bit more forceful than open my eyes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. His meditation is based on understanding the word of God. But he's asking God, make me understand. He's asking for help. There's an aggressiveness in this psalm where he's saying, I'm panting for you. I'm crying. Remember that one verse? I'm crying for you. Here he's saying, God, make me understand your word. He's not being passive. Make me understand your word. Listen, we may find that we, uh, that we have the desires of the psalmist when we start praying the prayers of the psalmist. I wonder in my own life if my level of delight and my level of desire are largely or, or, or frequently weak because I'm not praying prayers of dependence upon God, expecting that he will open my eyes, that he will grant me understanding. It is this sense of dependence that, that, that God answers. I mean, seriously, you think God doesn't want to answer the prayer, open my eyes that I can see things in your scripture? Like, do you have to pray? I wonder if that's in God's will. You know, God, if it be your will, 
grant me understanding. Do you think God would not respond to that prayer? He delights to respond to that prayer. Give me understanding. That's verse, okay, the next one, verse 34. Verse 34. Give me understanding. So make me understand. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lord, I can't just go observe the scripture with my whole heart. You have to help me understand. His whole heart devotion is based upon the prior work of God to giving him understanding. Do you see that? Give me understanding, purpose, in order that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So if you back that up, you say, I want to have wholehearted devotion to you, Lord, but the condition for that to be the case is you've got to give me understanding from your word. Lord, you've got to open my eyes. You've got to speak to me. Lord, I need your help. So this is grace as well. We're dependent upon God, and we ask him to help us see and understand his word. Last verse, verse 35 and 36, right next, next verse. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Okay, our heart's going to all be inclined to something or someone. So, Lord, here's my prayer. Would you lean my heart? Would you direct my heart? Would you bend my heart? Would you point my heart? Would you incline my heart to your testimonies, your word, and not selfish gain? God, I need you to point my heart in your direction. He's very free to ask multiple times, God, help me. God, help me. Listen, the purpose of this sermon is not, come on, guys, let's get in shape. This isn't January down at the gym where we're all, you know, let's all get in shape. This is your year. And, you know, be a new you and, you know, uh, something like that. This is us coming, get on our face before the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? I think my, de- my, de- I think my delight is anemic. It's weak in you so often. And I think my desire is for a thousand other things and frequently is not for you. So I'm dependent on you. I'm humbling myself and saying, God, would you please give me this heart? Would you please give me this heart? We're we're not just handing this out like, okay, this is the key, man. This is the magic key that you never knew about. And here it is. We made it up for you. No, this is, Lord, okay, this is a tool. But Lord, you got to work in my heart. Turn my heart to you. This is just a tool to do that. And the word, as I, as I go through this journal, then I can interact with your word. So how can I grow in my delight and my desire for God's word? Well, delight in God and desire for God spring from dependence on God. We have to cultivate dependence. Those verses we just read under dependence, listen to the verbs. Open my eyes, make me understand, give me understanding, incline my heart, We're just simply to ask, not once, but daily, daily. Let me leave you with this super encouraging statement of grace. It really ends if you, I said the last verse. I got one more verse for you. It's the last verse of the whole psalm. The last verse of the whole psalm, I just, I just love it the way he communicates it. At the end, he says, this is where he wraps up. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. At the end of all those statements, I delight in you. You're my treasure, right? You're the spoil. I pant for you. I mean, all these statements at the end, he goes, you know what? I've gone astray. And what's his confidence? Seek me. 
seek me, Lord. That's a strange statement, isn't it? We'd expect to say, hey, I'd expect to say, seek the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, seek your servant. Come after me. It's a statement of dependence. It's cultivating that dependence. His confidence is not that he's got a new Bible reading plan. His confidence is not that he got charged up and pumped up by the locker room talk, by the pastor in the sermon on read your Bible, ready on three, ready, break. And we all go out, yeah, pumped up, yeah. No, he's like saying, you know, I've gone astray. God, you've got to come after me. My soul is a mess. God, come after me. Make me hungry, make me understand, open my eyes, give me the desire so that I am living this reality of delighting in you and desiring you. Kill my delight in other things. Crush my desire for idols. Make me desire you. So the two things I'd recommend is to cultivate dependence. That's the most important thing, and we do that by prayer. And secondly, I would say engage the word. And I use the word engage intentionally instead of read. Because I think we want to really engage the word. We want, to, um, we want to experience the word of God in as many ways as we can that will help us uh, interact with him through his word. So we read the word. I frequently, and I'm doing this more and more uh, in, in reading in terms of even like audiobooks and stuff. I'm doing a lot more listening. But I listen to God's word be read to me. Even when I'm reading it, I'll have super cool narrator voice guy read to me while I'm reading it and it's just using two senses it just it lands on me a lot better that's just something I do writing it writing out a verse you know you're going to be able to in your journal write down some statements about the verse so that's writing that's another use of it speaking it out loud yourself especially if you're memorizing speaking it engaging means I'm using my senses I'm using all the ways God I'm meditating so I'm being quiet and thinking on a verse that's engaging so it's all of those ways. And, and while I said discipline alone will not sustain you over the long haul, discipline will place you in the position to receive God's help and his grace. Because discipline says, whether I feel like it or not, uh, I'm going to open it up and by faith read. I'm going to ask him to speak to me. And I'm putting myself in the pathway of God's word to address me. So I, you, 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 God will change your heart for the word by the word is what I'm trying to say. So here we go. Here's application. Cultivate dependence. Pick one of these up on the way out. And the way we're doing this, this journal, is it doesn't have dates, so you can start whenever you want. It goes with the 22 stanzas uh, of the psalm. So the first day, it's verses 1 through 8. We can all read eight verses, and then you get the same four questions every day. Uh, What does this passage teach you to think about God or his word? Number two, what does this passage move you to feel about God or his word? Question number three, how will you apply this passage in your life? Question number four, how will you pray in response to this passage and then pray? Four very basic questions each day. We only give you like three lines this can't take two and a half hours. I mean, you only got three lines for each one. Short answer, okay? Short answer. And you say, well, I don't, man, you're telling me to read this whole psalm. It's 176 verses. I don't read the Bible very regularly. Oh, we had you in mind. Uh, We're going to do this for 30 days. Guess how many stanzas there are? 22. Do the math. You get eight misses. You get eight misses, and you can still finish on time. Hallelujah. He says down here, amen. That deserves an amen for all of us. 
Yeah, amen. I get eight misses. Hey, that's why it's called Grace Church, okay? That's grace. We're about grace. You get eight misses. So you could read Monday through Friday, and the weekends you do something else or take off or whatever, or you could try to do it every day and say, based on 30 days, I'm probably going to mess up eight times. My goal is every time. However, whatever serves you. Um, The way you should not do it is pick this up in three weeks and do four sections a day just to get the assignment done. This is not about getting the assignment done. It's about engaging with the Lord over a regular place. And so here's my prayer and the pastor's prayer as we do this, that some of us in the room would, for the first time in our lives, develop a sustainable habit of engaging with God and meeting him and experience him like you never have. It, wouldn't that be beautiful for some of us who that's not our experience? Others of us, I think, are going to return to a habit. You used to read the scripture regularly. Now you don't. Uh, and these are bite-sized. So even if you've uh, got a lot going on in your life, you can still do it. But I'm praying that we all grow in our delight and our desire for God's word and that we find joy in God because that's the heart of the Christian life. It's the heart of the Christian life. Dane Ortland, Ray Ortland's son, who's an author as well, wrote, the whole Christian life hinges on one's capacity to find joy in God, not mainly in God's benefits, staggering as those are, but in God himself. I believe you could say your devotional life hinges on your ability to encounter by grace and enjoy God himself. That's really what it's about, delight and desire, and that's cultivated through dependence upon God. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.